Take a Bible, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The Bible in the pew, I'll give you the page number. Page 1692, 1692. Let's just bow our heads as we share God's Word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day, for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who we'll be speaking about this morning. Bless these uh, words, Lord. May they work for your honor and glory and spread uh, the good news of Jesus throughout the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we dealt with the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. So let me quickly read them, say just a, a one or two words, and the passage we're going to deal with today is verse 5 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2.1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we're seeing, and I mentioned this last week, three supernatural signs. What is the first sign that we read about here? The wind. Is this a tornado? Is this a hurricane? This is something that's loud enough to get people's attention. Think of the senses that it appeals to. Sound. They also see something. What do they see? They see fire, spoken of as tongues of fire resting upon them. And then there's a third supernatural manifestation. What is that? This gift of tongues. So we need to spend some time this morning explaining the gift of tongues. Uh, Within the Christian community, it has been a big issue with Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, and so on and so forth. So they have this gift of tongues, or many of you in your margins of your Bible will have languages. So what is happening here is on the day of Pentecost, celebrating this, these feast days in Jerusalem, Jews coming from all over the world. Remember the Jews were dispersed through different parts of the world, and representatives are coming together. Some think of it as a reversal of what happened at Babel, or Babel. What do you say, Babel? I say Babel. Let's not argue over the B word, but just understand God is, in a sense, reversing the curse. The blessing of Pentecost is reversing the curse. And God is going to... Something new, very new is happening here. God is going to take the message of the Lord Jesus Christ global. It had always been His intention. But when you read many parts of the Old Testament and, and the way that the Jews thought in the days of Jesus, you would think Christianity following Jesus meant being a Jew. 
And that's how many of them thought. And all of the discussions we're having in the book of Galatians, for those of you that are studying that early in the morning, revolve around this same issue. Do you have to be a Jew to be part of God's family? We say no, it doesn't even make sense to us. None of us have a, most of us don't have a Jewish background. And we know that we're believers. And hopefully we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us. But within the days of Jesus or the days of Paul or here the days of Luke, this would be a massive issue. Even though we can find text in the Old Testament that talk of non-Jews getting saved, the, the dominant thought was to be part of God's family, you had to go the Jewish way. And if that had happened, and God had not raised up people like Paul, then Christianity would never have gone global. It would have been a small parochial uh, phenomena that would never have taken off and gone throughout the world. Okay, so we have these three signs, and the, what, the emphasis that Luke gives is on the language part of it. He tells us not a whole lot about the wind, very little about the flames, but an awful lot about language and speech. That's where the emphasis is. And as I said, primarily in this context, that means the gift of foreign language. Why? To spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember the key text in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. And the way that God is getting their attention of this international multilingual community is through the phenomena of wind and the gift of uh, the gift, not the learning, but the gift of these new languages. Verse 5, now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Representation here. We're not talking of representing American Indians and Eskimos and all of that. This is the known world to this community. You had representatives. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. It got their attention. It freaked them out. How is it possible that these Galileans of all people, people in Jerusalem looked down on the Galileans. Jerusalem sophisticated, Galilee unsophisticated. Jerusalem educated, Galilee uneducated. Couldn't even speak properly in Galilee, apparently, from what I've read. And here, they're not only speaking a foreign language, they are speaking well. The gift of speech, is it a, is it a precious gift? Oh, yeah. Ellen White talks a lot about that. She actually says that from this point on, the language of the apostles was refined. Continually. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. Aren't you glad that the pastor didn't ask you to read these texts this morning? Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You know, God knows how to get people's attention. And he needs their attention if they're going to hear the gospel. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? It could be the title of the sermon this morning. What does this mean? What is the significance of Pentecost? In fact, I think last week I gave you four options of what Pentecost could possibly mean. Well, let's see what Peter thinks. But before we do that, some said, some however made fun of them and said, no, they've had, whoop, they've been hit in the bottle, they've had too much wine. I've just been in with the Spanish, I staggered around like a drunk, and I tend to have more fun with them than I do with you guys. But I said, how many of you can remember being drunk? And they all look so innocent. But there were a few drunkards in the audience. And I said to them, to make at least those few drunkards feel better, I said, well, I can remember the, the times I used to be drunk, and I can remember the crazy things I did when I was drunk, and I can remember living with some of the consequences of those crazy, crazy decisions. What does Peter say? Does Peter say they've been hidden in the bottle? Peter stands up in verse 14 with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So here's the explanation of what this means. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now you may not know this, but what is happening here is prophecy. When Peter preaches, he's prophesying. I want you to look at prophecy maybe in a different way than most of you do look at it. Most of the, your understanding of prophecy is conditioned by what you know about Ellen White. But you need a broader perspective than that, even though what happened with her is very, very wonderful. These men are not drunk, verse 15, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the authorized version, it says, this is that. How many of you have the authorized version here this morning? The King James. This is that. That's the title of my sermon. This is that. Here's a fulfillment of prophecy right in your midst. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been? These people have been reading the ancient text for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Prophecies like in Joel have been awaiting the messianic fulfillment. And here we have it being fulfilled right before their eyes, before their ears. In the last days, verse 17. Now last week I asked you, when did the last days start? Some say 1844, some say 1798. But we say at the Anderson Church, when? When Jesus came. It's the messianic age that we're in. Now, if the last days started with Jesus and they continue for how long? Until Jesus comes back, then Paul and Peter and Jesus lived in the last days, right? And Ellen White lived in the last days and you lived in the last days, right? The last days 
is a long day. From our perspective, is a long period of time. And of course, it ends when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. So let's see what happens in the last days. It starts in the first century, but it continues. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on some people. Special people. Does it say that? No, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people, and that means all believers. God's not interested in pouring His Spirit out on people like Balaam anymore, because they're not going to spread the good news. But it's those who believe in Jesus who are called by God and respond to that call. They are the ones that he's talking about here. And of course, implicit in that is not just Jews. Though he may not emphasize that to a Jewish audience. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Wouldn't that be exciting? Church is not boring anymore. They're prophesying. They're seeing visions. They're dreaming dreams. Even on my servants, both men and even the women get in here. How can the women get in on this? They couldn't even testify in a court of law. Their witness was worthless. They're likened to wild dogs. But here, as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as the Holy Spirit concern, they have an important part to play. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a good point to end on. But I'm not going to end there. Well, I will end my sermon there, but I'm not going to end at this point. Because we need to talk about this prophesying. We need to talk about this is that. What's really going on at Pentecost? And as I see it, and I I believe that you could give different answers to this, I think I gave you four last week. I can come up with, with some other ideas too. But it seems to me that what we have here is, do you remember Jesus when he was resurrected from the dead? Was he in body, body form or was he in spirit form? Uh, he was in body form. And because he was in body form, he's in one place at one time. Right? So in that sense, his ministry is limited. So he, he goes up, we read that in Acts chapter 1, he goes up in bodily form to heaven... We know that he's been accepted by the Father because he's been raised from the dead. We know he's been accepted by the Father because he ascends up to God in heaven, right? So we never want to ever give give the impression to anyone that Jesus has to persuade the Father to be gracious to us. And we did talk about that on another occasion. So Jesus goes to heaven... Talk, we can talk about him showing his palm prints and all of that. There's a tremendous embracing of Jesus in heaven and a celebration in heaven. God is throwing a party in heaven and his gift of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit are poured out on prime, first 
on the Jewish believers, primarily on the Jewish believers, but very soon as we continue reading in the book of Acts, we're going to see a massive influx of non-Jews coming into the church. And all of these people have, have something in common. They have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Is that what we have this morning? We come to God not trying to prove anything to Him. We come to God with the empty hand of faith. And God puts the gift into the, hand, the empty hand of faith. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is given to spread the message of Jesus. When you go into the Gospel of John, chapters 14, especially chapter 16, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. That was incomprehensible at the time to the disciples. It's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I will send the gift of the Counselor of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth. So that's what's happening in these verses that we are reading about. God is sending this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's the importance of that? Well, I'm sure there's much importance in many ways, but one of the importance is it gives the presence of Jesus a global emphasis. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always work in total harmony. There's no separation. We distinguish, yes. The Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So we distinguish, and that's important to do that. We talk of three persons in the Godhead. But we're talking of three persons in the Godhead who have worked together to give us the plan of salvation and are now carrying out the plan of salvation. Jesus in bodily form when he was on earth, he lived the perfect life. Nobody in this room has done that, right? Not one person in this room has, get, has kept God's requirements perfectly. What we're we talking about, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, 24-7. Has anybody even come close to that? So I hear a weak no. I should hear an emphatic no. And those who can say an emphatic no are going to embrace with open hands the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His perfection is going to be added or given to them as their perfection. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. So the life He lived, the death He died, His resurrection, His ascension, His coronation, His exaltation in heaven, all of this is part of God's plan. But you have the third person of the Godhead, so to speak, just waiting with bated breath, wanting so much till Jesus has finished His work so He can begin His work on the earth. What is His work? To exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one of the big mistakes of some of our Christian brothers and sisters who have laid a wrong emphasis, maybe a wrong emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And 
the fact they've laid an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is good, but you also have to remember as you're laying an emphasis on the Holy Spirit that He is given to lay an emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ's work when He was on earth. And Jesus says when He was here, the emphasis is to be on God the Father. We make a mistake when we focus just on Jesus. We make a mistake when we focus just on one member of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working for your salvation and for my salvation. And hey, if people, to get people saved, if God needs to do some supernatural work, such as this tornado wind or hurricane or whatever it was, this loud noise of wind, is the Holy Spirit wind? Ah, you've got to think a little bit when Pastor Nathan preaches. Is the Holy Spirit wind? No. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. But, but this manifestation, this supernatural noise that they heard, gets people's attention. These supernatural languages gets people's attention. They're hearing something. They want to check it out. And Peter is going to be anointed by God to be the spokesman and say, hey, this is the meaning. This is that. Verse 16 of chapter 2. Authorized version. King James Version. Don't you love the King James Bible? Actually, gives me a title of a sermon. This is that. What's the significance? The presence of Christ comes to His people and it goes global. No longer is it feeling and touching Jesus for a few apostles or a few disciples. Here it's the 120 that are anointed by God. Soon it will be 3,000. And soon it will be millions and millions. And when we get to the book of Revelation, every nation kindred, tongue, and people. Three angels' message, which is so important to Seventh-day Adventists. This thing has to go global. And the only way that this message of the Lord Jesus Christ can go global is with this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that I said last week about Pentecost is it's a time of revival. The church is being revived. It's, it's, God is taking a timid church to be bold in proclamation, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's one of the, the byproducts, one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is they should have confidence, not in themselves, but confidence in what Jesus has done. Isn't that where our confidence should be? If we're made right with, by God, only by what Jesus has done, how can we put our confidence anywhere else? If we put our confidence in ourselves, then let's look at our progress since we became Christians. Those of you that are Christians here this morning and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you kept His commandments 24-7? Have you ever done it for 24 hours? What about one hour? where you totally live for His glory, where every thought, word, and action is for Him. Well, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can clearly see that we are beggars in need of bread, even on our good days. 
So we always keep the emphasis on what Jesus has done, and in the context of what we're talking about this morning, what Jesus is doing for his people as he pours out the Holy Spirit. And then when it comes to finishing this work, we don't want to put our emphasis on 3ABN, Hope Channel, Adventist technology, the world's technology, the methods of man, because they are always flawed and they are very limited. It is God who will finish His work. And there will be, as there was a mighty revival in the first century, and as we work our way through the book of Acts, we will see many Pentecosts. Now, maybe we shouldn't use that word, so I'm going to change the word and just use revival. Many revivals throughout the book of Acts, many revivals throughout history. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. Has the Holy Spirit not been doing His job? Has He been asleep? Is the Holy Spirit asleep in the Middle Ages? No, God is working and then God has manifested Himself in many, many ways. But before Jesus comes back, there will be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When we talk of the Holy Spirit and the work of God, it is more something to be experienced than to be just intellectualized. Now, you do need to study. You do need to show yourself approved. It can at least help you not fall into the, into the trap of heresy. But most importantly about God, the most important thing is that we should experience His presence. And when you and I know God, when we experience God in a personal, intimate way, we can truly say the Holy Spirit's doing His work. And we have something to share to a dying world. Did you notice that last verse, verse 21? Everyone who does what? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord may be saved if they're good enough, will be saved. See how confident the text is? See how confident Peter was? This was the timid Peter, the man who was hiding away. They were all hiding away. The man who had denied his Lord. Can you see how he's been transformed? I don't want to use the word converted because I think that's a misunderstood word. I believe he was converted before he denied his Lord. But now we can see a man that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he has something to say. He has a lot to say. And the important thing is you have to say the right thing about the Lord Jesus Christ so people can get saved. That's important that people get saved, is it not? Shouldn't the resources and, and the time of the church be spent on how can we get people to Jesus? That should be our burning passion. And it will be when the Holy Spirit falls amongst His people and does the work that he wishes to do. Are you enjoying the book of Acts? I think it's a blast. I mean, not only do you get great doctrine in the book, it may not be lofty teaching like you have in the book of Romans, but you get, you get the great doctrine, a clear emphasis on what Jesus has done, and you get the emphasis on what the Spirit's actually doing in the lives of people. So let's talk sometimes about what God is doing in our midst. How He's molding and shaping this church. 
What is He doing in your life? Who have you been witnessing to this week? Who have you been telling about the Lord Jesus Christ? It's exciting when we can take doctrine and bring it into our experience. God is living. God is dynamic. God is exciting. God can do the supernatural at any time. And we will see tremendous manifestations of the supernatural before Christ comes back. We will see the false. Fire coming down out of heaven to deceive people. Right? And we will see the true. And those people who are seeking the lost, they are going to be the ones who are going to be on the cutting edge of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's always a connection we should never forget that, between proclamation, witnesses, you shall be my witnesses, and being empowered by God so you have something to proclaim. And that needs to be the, your experience and it needs to be my experience. And are you, are you open to that? If your mind is blocking out the miraculous supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, then you're not open to it. But are you open to say, Lord, Your will be done. Whatever way You want to use me. However, if God tells you to go in a corner and stand on your head, then that's what you're going to do. And you're not going to worry whether the blood rushes to your head or not. You're just going to be obedient to what the Spirit tells you to do. It's an exciting, it's an exciting experience to study the early church, which we know had its problems, it certainly wasn't perfect. But despite the defects of the individuals, for example, Peter, or the church members, God worked powerfully through them. And in a relatively short period of time, this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ went to the then known world. And you and I wouldn't be here today if that hadn't happened. So let's thank God for His goodness. When we study next week from verse 21, verse 22 onwards, we will see more manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And what I think we're seeing is a pretty good picture of what God's church really should be like. So let's study to show ourselves approved. Let's receive the blessings, the daily anointing of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ellen White speaks so much about many of these areas that we're touching on here. And obviously, it was an issue with Dr. Luke. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You that He's our representative in heaven, our high priest, We can go to Him with all of our concerns. And Lord, there's some heavy loads here this morning. We have people like Ted who have passed away. But they've passed away in Christ. And so we thank You and we praise You for the life that they lived. And what You did through people like Ted Moore and people like Joe and others that we've lost recently. But Lord, here we are this morning. It's another Sabbath day. It's another opportunity. Help us to grasp our opportunities and learn how to work with You. And Lord, may Your Spirit just 
anoint every person in this building this morning. May there be revival. May there be reformation. May there be victory over sin. May there be all the good gifts and qualities of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.